It's time for episode 524 of the Clockwise Podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, October 11th, 2023. Clockwise, four people, four tech topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, the tech podcast that's getting ready for spooky season. I am one of your hosts, Micah Sargent, and I am joined across the internet by my good pal, my friend, and my fellow Dungeons and Dragons player. It's Dan the Man Morin. How you doing, Dan? I'm doing okay, Micah. Um, are we doing it? Is it an all spooky podcast this week? Is uh, no, is I think we'll doing? save that. We won't. We won't go full spooky. We're getting ready. I, I've started to put some cobwebs okay. up in the corners. Um, I, hopefully, oh, you I thought got we the, just hadn't cleaned. <laughs> hopefully, you got the package with the pumpkins in it uh, that mm-hmm. you're you're getting set up. And by the end of this, we'll have a full spooky. Okay, uh, full Great. spooky season. Sounds good. Uh, while Dan, uh, I guess, carves a uh, pumpkin into a jack-o'-lantern, uh, I should introduce our awesome guests. To my left is the producer and reporter at the Texas Standard, as well as the host of Parallel right here on Relay FM. it's Shelly Brisbane. Hi, Shelly. Hi, Micah. Great to be here. Great to have you. And to my left is the editor-in-chief of 9to5Mac and host of 9to5Mac Happy Hour and 9to5Mac Daily. We're so glad you could find time for us amongst all those busy <laughs> commitments. It's Chance Miller. Welcome, Chance. Thank you all for having me. All right. Well, uh, with that, now that you know who's here, I think it's best to get our show underway. You know how this works. We've got four topics, 30 minutes, and mine for you is this. Have you had a chance to you oh chance uh to use i'm sure you've heard that plenty uh a chance no, to use <laughs> pass keys for login yet and if you have i'm curious what your experience has been like shelly we'll start with you i have uh, not yet had the opportunity to do that uh probably <laughs> i'm kind of saving it up it's one of those project kinds of things that i feel like once i get into it i'm really going to love it But I'm also concerned that if I start down that uh, path, it's going to be a bit of a rabbit hole, not because it's complicated, but just because I haven't done it before. So I'm kind of saving that up for a a long weekend, and and I'll get to it uh, probably in the next month or so. In the next three to five years. Um, (laughs) I have played around with it a little bit. Um, You know, I think the interesting part about passkeys is that even though it's a standard Every site seems to implement them maybe a little bit differently. So depending on where you use it, you might have a very different experience. So I've set up passkeys on like my Google account. Uh, There's a passkey that you can do for iCloud.com and Apple sites. That one's been a little tricky because it like often requires you to sign in with your phone. I mean, I have a Mac mini that doesn't have like biometrics, so I have to use the phone if I want to do that. But it still lets you log in by password. You know, like we haven't gotten to that full switchover point yet, although I know Google is now doing uh, create passkeys by default which is, I think, a good way to go. And then a lot of places treat it like a hardware security key, too, because it kind of rides on the same um, underlying technology as that. So I think it's good. I think what's going to hold back general adoption is the idea that even though it is a technological standard, their experience is going to be very different. But I guess that's not too different from the way passwords have sometimes been implemented. So uh, I'm generally in favor of it. I'm interested to see how it progresses. Chance, what about you? I've been taking it kind of slowly. Just when a website or service will prompt me to maybe set up a passkey, I'll do it. And there's a website, passkeys.directory, that kind of has a rundown of all the different websites and apps that use passkeys. So I'll go to that every so often to 
see if there's anything I use on a regular basis that supports passkeys now. But it's kind of it's kind of intimidating to do it because I always I always worry that something is going to get messed up and then I'll just be locked out of my accounts forever. But so far, where I've done it, it's worked pretty well. Uh, so I the the best place that I've used this is with Google. Surprisingly, um, when I uh, moved over to my new phone and it came time to log into my Google accounts, I had set up uh, pass keys to log into my like at Gmail account. And then also the account that is tied to my website that is on the back end, Google workspaces. And all I did was uh, tap the the little notification that said you need to log in again. And then it's like, do you want to use your pass key? I said, yes, it scanned my face and I was done. And I thought, this is heaven. Uh, because leading up to that, you'd have the, you'd put in your username, you'd put in your password, you'd put in your two factor, and then you'd finally get in. This just was immediate. And I thought this is definitely the future. Um, that said, depending on the site, depending on how you set it up, depending, I've had some trouble with it. Um, my best experience has been using it with one password uh, as the passkey server, um, as opposed to some of the other options out there. But uh, yeah, I, I, it's sometimes messy. Sometimes it's just used as a form of multi-factor authentication. And so it's important to understand the difference between those, what's what's being used and when. Uh, but in the end, I found the experience to be delightful uh, when it works well. And One so password was, drove me bananas, Micah. It kept trying to suggest pass keys for like a site it didn't have a pass key for, but it would not let me dismiss it until it's <gasps> like, let me check for pass keys. Let me check for it. Oh, I don't have any. It's like, okay, well, why were you bugging me? Oh, that's frustrating. <laughs> I'm sorry that you you had that experience. Um, mine, mine has been decidedly more delightful than that. So I'm sorry to hear that. Um, but thank you all for your answers on that. Let us move to our next topic, which comes from Shelley. And you wonder why I haven't done pass keys yet. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this is a story. I, I think I found it on nine to five Mac as it happens. Mm. Uh, the Google antitrust trial has uh, taught us, uh, showed us a lot of things, including that Google is paying a lot of money to be the default search engine on iOS. And they are paying something like some, mil some min many billions of dollars, which allegedly amounts for somewhere between 14 to 6%, 16% of Apple's profits. That's a lot of money. If the antitrust trial does not go uh, Google's way and they're no longer allowed to pay that money to Apple, uh, any suggestions on how Apple might uh, make up some of that revenue or anything that you hope Apple doesn't do in order to make up that revenue? So jack up that sweet, sweet iCloud storage. Really make your money back. <laughs> oh, I'm, I think Apple, I mean, A, I assume Apple's prepared for this. I mean, I'm sure they have lots of people looking at the potential outcomes and trying to think through this. Obviously, it would be a big blow to services, which is a huge division for them that they've really been touting the performance of, especially as a way to sort of compensate for, uh, let's say, uh, iPhone sales that are getting a little bit more predictable. Um, so, you know, we may end up in a situation where Apple has to be like, OK, look, everybody, this is going to happen. Let's let's all take a deep breath together and not tank our stock price. Um in terms of how I think, I mean, I'd like to see them roll out more services. I don't think that's necessarily going to do it. I think one other possibility is trying to, of course, supplant Google in terms of, you know, bolstering their ad revenue. Mm -hmm. Another thing I'm not super enthusiastic about them doing, they've been, you know, pretty, like the ads are pretty 
minor right now, but you kind of get a hint from that how much more annoying they could become. So please don't start spamming us with notifications for signing up with Apple services. I mean, more than you do now. Chance, you got a better answer? Not really. I think part of the story here that sometimes gets missed is that Apple will lose a lot of money if this goes away, but they'll still get revenue sharing from Google and they have deals in place with DuckDuckGo and other search engines being already. So a lot of the money will go away, but they'll still have this revenue stream. But to make up what they are going to lose, I think the answer probably is more services. There's been rumors that Apple's working on an audiobooks subscription service. We just saw Spotify, I think last week announce something to do with audiobooks. And I think part of it too will be just increasing the prices of services we already have. I mean, we've seen the rate of new Apple TV Plus content really, really increase recently. So I think Apple TV Plus will get more expensive. Apple Music's probably getting more expensive. And then you have the finance side of everything too, where you have Apple Card and Apple Pay Later and maybe more stuff on the way in that category. And that that whole consumer finance pay later industry is very lucrative. Mm -hmm. So I bet that's a big part of of their long-term plans in this category. I think what I hope to not see is the uh, is the sort of influx of more advertisements based on the Apple News experience, where uh, I remember originally the ads. I thought, oh, this is fine. These these are you know reasonable advertisements, and over time now they have become the junk that you'd find on Tumblr if you still went to that site and scrolled through. <laughs> um, they're pretty bad and low quality and not not great. Uh, and I worry about that. You know, the, the state of when I do a Google search right now and you have what feels what's starting to feel like six pages of, of sponsored results and um, other junk in the way. I would hate to see the app store go that way, uh, where suddenly you've got to scroll through three screens of of sponsored apps before you actually get to the app that you were looking for. Um, but I could see that being one of the means of of figuring out new revenue. Um, it is interesting, as Chance pointed out, that uh, the company, of course, if you chose Google as your default search engine would still receive uh, revenue from the experience there as other search engines when they are chosen as the default means that Apple receives some revenue there. That is uh, interesting. And I wonder, you know, <laughs> I, I don't necessarily see too many people making the shift to another search engine uh, if they've always used Google as their default or have known that Google was the default. So that'll be fascinating to to, to see if, if we're presented with a choice during setup, but we'll find out. Uh, Shelly, why don't you round us out on this topic? I've got to agree that the money is in services, but it has to be, I feel like, services that are really incremental uh, that are really important to people's lives and apple tv seems like the apple tv plus seems like the most obvious candidate they're already ramping up the amount of content they produce they could potentially increase the cost to 
consumers, but that's not the only way they have to make money. Unfortunately, they could put advertising in Apple TV Plus programs. They could sell those Apple TV Plus programs to other venues. There are already uh, programs that are in movie theaters and also then on Apple TV Plus. There are all sorts of deals. And it feels like that's a lot more money than something like audiobooks or or even advertising on the news site that feels like it's nibbling around the edges. What I hope that they don't do, and what some people have suggested, is that Apple do its own search engine. That's a mess for a lot of reasons. First of all, it seems like an incredible amount of cost to get started. And then in order to be the Google of search engines uh, for the iOS, they would have to do all the things that Google does, which is very antithetical to, to the way Apple works, which is selling advertising against every search result and monetizing the way people search. And if Apple is going to continue to maintain itself as a privacy-focused company, I don't think they're going to be able to do that. So it does feel like whether it's services or whether it's some product that we can't anticipate that's going to make them bazillions of dollars, uh, that's got to be the way to go as opposed to trying to replicate what Google's already doing. All righty, folks. With that, we have reached halftime here at Clockwise, which means it's time to tell you about our shirt. Uh, you can get the Clockwise Tea, very soft, comfy tea at clockwise.social slash shirt. When you head there, uh, you will be redirected to a Cotton Bureau page where we have teas, sweatshirts, tanks, and even onesies uh, in many a color. Uh, you can match Dan, you can match me with your own clockwise tee. Oh, that rhymes. And uh, it's a delightful shirt featuring a clockwise stopwatch, uh, as well as the sort of all uh, over design of, of clockwise. So uh, check it out there. And of course, uh, that will help support this show and make sure we can continue to bring it to you each and every week clockwise dutch social slash shirt all right we are back from halftime and that means it's time for dan's topic yeah i'm curious are you a regular user of screen sharing if so what devices do you use it for and what purposes do you find yourself using it for chance let's start with you i used to be a much bigger user of screen sharing than i am now so my primary use case was using screen sharing to remote into a mac mini that I had running as mainly a Plex server. But then a few months ago, I switched over to using a Synology primarily for all of that. So my use of screen sharing is down quite a bit. I still use it occasionally to go to my Mac Studio when I'm on my MacBook Air. But I do want to try it out because I know in macOS Sonoma, there's a new like high-performance screen sharing mode. So that might make it a little bit more enticing when I'm on the MacBook Air and I need something on the Mac Studio. But right now, not not really something I do very often. I think the one reason I would use it is to provide support to a family member, but none of my family um, really uses, you know, PCs of, of any variety. They're iPad and iPhone users. Uh, so I don't really have a use of, of screen sharing and uh, haven't used it in a very long time. Shelly, what about you? I have uh, multiple Macs. I have a work Mac, and then I have a, which is a MacBook Pro, and then I have an iMac over here. And I often find that I need to communicate with one or the other of them via screen sharing. And then there's the ancient Mac in my studio that is where I do my podcast work. And every once in a very great while, I leave some file there that I've forgotten to put into iCloud so that it's available. So I do end up screen sharing around my house. And then lastly, because we like to increase the level of difficulty, uh, we run our Plex on a, a Linux server 
And every once in a while, I uh, screen share over into that. Uh, so I, I try to have adventures when my screen sharing is involved. And I'm excited for the Sonoma high-performance mode. I have Sonoma on one Mac right now. And so I, I've seen the interface, but I would like to see what the experience is like when I have a Sonoma on both sides for screen sharing. Haven't done that yet. Yeah, I've used screen sharing for a long time. Um, I don't know why I love the idea of it. Like, I always love the ability because I've long been a multiple Mac user. So getting back and forth between them has always been handy. I've often had a desktop that's at home that's uh, on all the time, whether it was an iMac or now a Mac Mini. So being able to retrieve stuff from that when I was out and about uh, was always very useful. I have a few apps that don't play well when you um, have like a file open on one machine and you go to open it in another machine. Uh, So sometimes I need to screen share into like my laptop because I left it downstairs and I left a file open. I need to close it and then open it in the the Mac that I'm on. Um, And then sometimes it's just handy for being able to like troubleshoot something uh, like this is behaving this way on this computer is behave the same way on the other computer. Um, I played around with a little bit with uh, Sonoma's high performance mode. It's pretty good, although um, (laughs) the I guess it does nominally transmit audio. I have not found that to work well every (laughs) time that I've logged in. It just gives me like a high pitched squeal. Like, <laughs> you want your sinuses cleared? I think it you're works hurting great. It. Yeah, I was hurting me, Micah. <laughs> uh, so, but it, it looks great. Like the the performance and the graphics of it are really good. Um, and this is using a wire, wired wired uh, M2 Mini on one end and a um, M1 Air on Wi Fi on the other end. And it's pretty solid. So uh, I was long a user of screens by Adovia as well, and I still do use that. But I've been trying to use more or Sonoma's um, built-in system. And I'll say I actually love also even on my um, iPad and even sometimes on my iPhone, I've needed to log into a Mac remotely. And so using screens for iOS there to be able to log in and control um, or look at something on my Mac remotely is always felt both hilarious and futuristic to me. So I really appreciate it. Thank you for your answers on that. Let's go to our final topic, which comes from Chance. This is apparently something that's more divisive than I thought. (laughs) But what I want to know is, like, when you go to a concert, how much do you care or how much time do you spend taking photos and videos of that that concert? And if you do, like, how often do you go back and actually look at those pictures and videos after the fact? Wow. What a great question. Um, (laughs) Because I think we're all left confronting uh, truths here, perhaps. Um, I have in the past taken uh, videos of concerts, and I kind of stopped doing that unless there's there's something that I am trying to show someone specifically later. Um, if it's for myself, I'm not I don't really do the video because what ends up happening for me is I scroll through my photo library looking for something and it, it has nothing to do with a concert. And then I happen upon um, the little icon that shows that it's a video instead of a photo. And then I remember the concert and I kind of go, oh, yeah. And then I move on. I don't look at the video. I don't play it. I just remember, oh, yeah, that's what the concert was. That's, you know, this was the the video that I recorded. This was the period of time. But I'm not re-enjoying those moments because it's not enjoyable, in my experience, with the horrible sound and the odd angle of the video and not worth looking at it that way. Um, when it comes to photos, though... I do like that because it is, of course, capturing that moment in time um, and will occasionally look back and and, and see that and uh, kind of be happy about it. Um, so, yeah, uh, ultimately, 
not really a person who cares too much about taking photos and videos at concerts outside of going, oh, I know my friend who also likes this band would be mind boggled at this. So I got to quickly get some video of this and I can describe it to them later. Um, yeah, that's that's my experience. Shelly, what about you? I don't take videos for the same reasons you mentioned, Micah. And also I find it distracting to myself to take videos because I feel like I have to find just the right angle and I have to hold the camera extra steady because there's nothing more annoying than wobbly video. Uh, but I do take photos and it's only when I can do so, number one, in a way that I can get a real close up on the face of the artist or whatever it is that I want to see that I think it's going to be a picture I'm going to want later. Or, or number two, if I can do it without you know, being in the way of people. And so I go to a lot of small uh, shows, singer songwriter kind of shows where I can actually get out of my seat and it's a, you know, a seated situation. And like I can go over to the side and I can zoom in on the artist and get these really cool profile shots. And if I can do that without annoying anybody, then I'm happy and I will look back at them. And actually it's one of the few instances in which uh, I uh, photos memories comes back for me in a good way, because I will forget that I've done it. And all of a sudden, some set of pictures that I took at a concert I went to a year ago, pop up and I go, Oh, that's really great. And that's the way I like to enjoy it. And then I occasionally like Michael, I'll, I'll send pictures to a friend who's like, I wish I know you wish you were here or <laughs> wow, this is what was happening in Austin while you were in Boston tonight. And you would love to have seen this artist. So I like to do it. And I, yeah, I'm one of those people that is bothered by the person who's standing in front of me with their iPad for 30 minutes trying to take a video. Please don't do that. That's no fun. Um, yeah, I think I'm pretty similar in that. I, I, I don't go to a lot of concerts, period. I certainly go to not that many now that I have a small kid. Um, and I have, so most recently I went to a concert back in June and I did take some pictures and I did take a short video or two of like specific moments in the concert that I was like, oh, I, I do want to capture this. This is really cool. And I have showed some of those off, Pat, in like the last few weeks because I want, oh, I saw this cool thing at this concert and I want to, I want to show this to you. But it's not something, the people who sit there and record an entire concert, I hate that. I find it so distracting. But like if they're sitting in front of you and they just got their phone up the whole time, it's like, I want to, I want to watch the concert. I don't need to watch you recording it. Also, are you really watching it if you're just watching it through your camera lens? Why are you even here? Um, so I, I don't mind, you know, taking pictures and commemorating stuff, but I do, you know, make an effort to, to put my phone away and be in the moment. I mean, I don't think I would do that for any other live event, right? Like I'm not doing that like a movie or a play or something that feels really weird. So, um, yeah, I don't think I would do it very much at a concert and you know, the concert I was at that I did do that. I was in like the second balcony, like all the way back. So I'm not bothering anybody. Um, but yeah, it's it's not something I really find myself doing very much. Chance, why don't you wrap us up here? I think I'm a little bit closer towards the other end of the spectrum on this, where I do take quite a few videos and pictures at concerts. I think part of the enjoyment of going to the concert for me is kind of taking different angles and taking different pictures and Especially, I went to a concert on Monday, so I had the iPhone 15 Pro Max, and this was my first time with an iPhone 15 at a concert. So playing with that and testing like the 5X camera, that was fun, and that was part of the enjoyment of going to the concert. But I do actually go back and watch a lot of them. Like I have videos from concerts I went to in 2016, 2017 that look surprisingly good for being that old, and also it's just fun to relive that moment. But I think all of you hit on a good point where the key is doing it in a way that's not impeding on somebody else's ability to enjoy the concert and doing it in a respectful way and 
finding a good balance of how often you do it versus when you put your phone down. And if you go with your partner or friends, you all don't need to be recording or taking pictures at the same time. Like you can record this part of this song. Somebody else can record this part of that song. And then at the end, you just kind of collate it all together. So you have a collection of those memories, but you are still in the moment for the entire concert. All righty. With that, uh, we have just enough time for a bonus topic. So let us head there. My question for you is, have you ever met a famous person outside of tech in person? Shelly, we'll start with you. I met uh, Ann Richards when she was governor of Texas back in the 90s, and that was interesting enough in itself. She's very recognizable. If you know what she looks like, she she has you know the, the white hair and she has the recognizable voice. But the way I met her was at this big function, and it was like she's meeting a million people that night. And I walked up and I introduced myself and I said, hello, I like what you're doing. And she just grasped my hand and engaged me and was like, that's why she's a politician, because she's charming you right this second. She's good at what she did. Um, several uh, in various capacities. A lot of times, you know, tech adjacent, like I met Al Gore and Stephen Fry at Apple events. But um, I uh, I did meet David Diggs at a um, conference for my science fiction writing, uh, an event that I always feel bad about because uh, I didn't want to bother him. I didn't want to take up too much of his time. I'm very sensitive about that. Like, I don't want to bug him. I just want to say, hey, like, I'm a fan of your work. And uh, he was, like, genuinely super nice and, like, started to ask me questions. And I was, like, had that immediate, like, I got to pull the ripcord on this. And then, like, disappeared. Like, I was like, well, thanks. Nice to meet you. Bye. And ran away. I was like, oh, man, I could have been hanging out with David Diggs for, like, an hour or something. Oh, well. He felt like he needed a friend. Um, so that was a that was a bit of a bummer. And I also, more recently, uh, uh, Shelly's story made me remember that I was at a uh, subway station opening here in boston and i met uh catherine clark who's a local rep and is the house whip house of representatives whip for the democrats so there we go i got some politician ones too chance well my answer was going to be that i met dan and micah at wwdc <laughs> but i guess that's that's, <laughs> that's not tech. allowed that's tech <laughs> but i don't really have an exciting answer to this the growing up i went i was a big cincinnati reds fan and i still am so I went to a lot of like they had a winter off-season thing called Reds Fest where you'd go and you'd meet current players and some of the older big red machine players. So that's probably the most famous set of people I've met. I've never had like a subway station run in with anybody. It's mainly just been sports and Cincinnati Reds players in particular. Um, I don't know if any of you are familiar with the uh, Harlem Globetrotters, but they were like a <laughs> basketball. I, I saw them yeah. play at some point. Yeah. So they did um, they did a lot of sort of stunt work uh, while playing basketball and sort of uh, comedy stuff. Um, I was. Uh, able to meet my my great grandpa. Uh, he was a huge fan of Meadowlark Lemon, and so I met Meadowlark Lemon at one point um, and got him to sign a book uh, for my great granddad. But I was actually taught uh, by Gator Rivers, which was another uh, Harlem Globetrotter. Growing up, um, my dad was friends with Gator Rivers. He was he was actually in a Scooby Doo episode with the uh, with the um Harlem Globetrotters and yeah he had some like basketball teaching stuff so um 
it's odd because I'm like not a basketball player at all, but there there's my, the, the famous people I've met are both basketball players. <laughs> um, but yeah, interesting stuff all around. Uh, for those of you listening out there, there's some interesting stuff you can check out. If you are a member of clockwise, uh, you can get ad free episodes with an extra overtime topic every week by becoming a member of clockwise. And you might've noticed, uh, we didn't have any ads this week outside of our shirt, of course. Um, we could use your support uh, heading to relay.fm slash clockwise and signing up for $5 a month or $50 a year will mean that you are helping to support the show and it makes all the difference. In this week's overtime topic, we discuss our notification strategies. And with that, we have reached the end of this episode of Clockwise. All that's left is to thank our awesome guests, Shelly Brisbane. Thank you so much for being here. My pleasure, Mike. It was fun. And Chance Miller, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. And Micah will be back as spooky season intensifies. <laughs> so, uh, every- Ooh, that was a good one. I like that. Chain rattle, chain rattle. Uh, so everybody, be sure to tune in next week and see what uh, scary shenanigans we are up to. Uh, but until then, we remind everybody listening out there, watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. <laughs>